everybody, and welcome. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show, when your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We are here with Dr. Kimberly Moffitt, Associate Professor of American Studies at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, co-editor of Blackberries and Redbone's Critical Articulations of Black Hair Body Politics in Africana Communities and other books as well. Dr. Matthew Crenson, a noted author, professor emeritus now. That's right. The Department of Political <laughs> Science at Johns Hopkins University. Good to see you Good to see again you. as well. Good morning. And good morning, everybody. And uh, our conservative uh, guest uh, was going to come this morning, but she had a family emergency and had to drop out at the last second. Because, you know, we try to balance this out <laughs> as best we can in our conversations. But do join us here, 410-319-8888 by phone. You can email us at talkingsteinershow.org. Tweet us at Mark Steiner. We want to cover what's been going on in the national news. We know that at the top of most people's list is uh, Comey and the thing has been flying around that. But let me posit this before we start, because uh, one of the things I talked about on Friday, um, it's a Friday or Thursday, days blur, I forget, <laughs> uh, with Tavis Smiley, was his being incredulous at the, uh, at the fact that uh, Democrats are so upset about Comey being fired <laughs> when they called for that themselves uh, earlier in the, on, and that the well, uh, Trump himself using what he did to Hillary Clinton as one of the excuses to fire him uh, then came back and said, well, um, I really was thinking about firing him anyway because of the FBI thing, and you never know what he's going to say or how he says it. But the issue to me that came overarching was, Kennedy, before I read the article in the New York Times, but it kind of helped me flesh it out that I read on Sunday, was it seems to me that Democrats and Republicans are both rudderless. They have no idea which way they're going. Republicans and people who support Trump are just happy, they're just happy with crusading against the anti, as anti-anti-Trumps. Uh, if you hate Trump, they hate you, uh, and that gives them a right to go after liberals and anybody else who's progressive left and communities of color who want to say things about Trump. They be- <clears throat> that becomes a unifying force, no longer this kind of conservative ideology of what's just and right from a conservative perspective. Democrats, on the other hand, uh, seem to be only united by Trump, <laughs> uh, and they have their interesting warfare was played out with the DNC chair battle uh, that Perez won. And um, many people on the progressive side didn't like that. And the progressive and corporate ends of that party uh, really are at odds, though they don't seem to be in public only because they're united against anything Trump does or says. So, and they're also in a quandary over having lost the election and do not accept responsibility for having lost the election themselves. Uh, just like uh, in Maryland here, when Hogan won, the Brown campaign didn't really take responsibility for losing the campaign, that miserable campaign that it ran, uh, that nobody could relate to. So, so all that said, I, let me add one more st- sentence onto this and then let you two talk about this a bit and our listeners as well. It seems to be in the, since the turn of the century... It's always odd to say that. I feel like I'm talking about the 19th century. But since the turn of the century, 20th to 21st century, um, we've seen a very strange kind of coming apart of America, that all the contradictions seem to be coming home to roost, as Malcolm said, in these last 17 years. From Katrina to the presidential elections, the first black president, what that wrought, now this presidency of, uh, of Donald Trump, and before that, uh, the, the election of Bush, when he did not get a majority of the votes again, like this election. And then we had this horrendous attack on America and these insane wars that have taken off ever since. So it seems like we are a nation, maybe, that is rudderless and at each other's throats. 
How do we see that? that that's my right. how I begin this. Well, Matthew Crimson. Even before uh, <coughs> President Trump was elected, uh, the, uh, Americans were probably more highly pol- polarized than they have been at any time in our recent history. Uh, in fact, there's a political scientist named Keith Poole who studied congressional voting records going all the way back to 1877. And he finds that uh, Democrats and Republicans in Congress are as polarized today as they have been at any time since Reconstruction. So Trump already came into a discombobulated uh, political system. But you mentioned that it's rudderless. (coughs) And I think the reason it's rudderless is because it's all organized now around the political whirlpool of Donald Trump. Uh, He has no direction himself. Mm -hmm. And since he seems to have no consistent... uh, line of policy, no consistent set of political principles. He just reacts at anything that offends his ego. Um, And the rest of the political system reacts to him. Uh, (coughs) Hence, we have no direction. We've turned into a sort of chaotic uh, uh, political system. Yeah, I I don't disagree with much of what's being said. And and I'll extend it by saying that because we're so rudderless and because of these two camps of being, you know, with Trump or against Trump, what we're doing is seeing ourselves set many bad precedents about um, how to conduct ourselves in politics and how to conduct our government, how to run our government, where anything goes in the Trump presidency. And unfortunately, I don't feel like either party is thinking um, or has the foresight to think about what does that look like after Trump? What does that look like when there's someone else holding this spot and you've allowed so much to occur now? How do you then reel that back in? And right. I'm not sure that's even possible. Yeah, how do you re-legitimize the presidency right. and the political system? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> what I've been thinking about a lot lately with all this, and to me, you know, we could sit and talk about Comey because Comey is the top of the news and we can definitely talk a bit about that and we will. Um, but to me, it's just this just kind of emblematic of something much deeper. Um, in what's that? In what's going on? And it seems to me. Let me throw this out. And, and both of you is, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, you you've been studying this political system for a long time, mm-hmm. um, a, a very long time, Matthew and 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 Kimberly, less time, but you have been <laughs> so also a certain, no, because you know. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Kimberly. I'm not sure whether I should say thank you. <laughs> 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 Trying to get my. You know, no, here we go. So, so I think that. What's happened here, and then, is that there was an America that got, began to be redefined in the fifties and sixties. That does not that that shook up the definition of who we are as a nation, from the civil rights movement to the movements, the civil rights movement, and the black power movement begat, like the environmental movement, the women's movement, uh, the opening up of, of, of LGBTQ rights, and all that. That has really kind of made some people so upset about where they think America <coughs> is going and has become that allows a Donald Trump mm-hmm. who seems like, quote, I'm holding up quotes in the air here, uh, <laughs> as a real person who's not a politician, who just speaks what he thinks as as kind of the, the, the embodiment of the anger about where America is going. I mean, I, we think there's a, there's a and as, as did the election of Obama mm-hmm. was in many ways both the hope and also the kind of the culmination of are we going to set a new course for America that define these different visions of who we are as a nation? I think that this is what how deeply divided we are. Yeah, and I think I, I would place the, the sort of inflection point at the rise of Newt Gingrich. Uh, he 
um, uh, tra- took, began a kind of take no prisoners style of politics where uh, the norms, the practices of American politics, the informal practice especially, were abandoned. And of course, Mitch McConnell uh, represents the current embodiment of that same uh, position. The idea, for example, that you should not even hold hearings for the Supreme Court nominee of a sitting president uh, is something that's unheard of. Uh, and uh, it's, it's like there are no rules anymore. Uh, and I think the <coughs> kind of polarization you were talking about helped to precede that. But I have to say, and this will sound very partisan, that if you look <laughs> at right. if you look at, if you look at the Pew survey, they, they've, since the 1980s they've been asking a series of questions about people's positions on various policy issues, and what it showed for a long time was that it was Republicans were steadily moving away from the center uh, in reaction to the kinds of things you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And only recently have the Democrats begun to move away from the center in reaction to the Republicans. Yeah, I would, I would, um, I, I echo the sentiment that you have shared, Mark, in terms of this trajectory of of how the country has moved. And I would even go as far to suggest that um, Barack Obama's election as president um, really helped to co- coalesce mi- much of what people were feeling in this country. And so now that he is out of office, the Obama effect, right, has right. been this <clears throat> pushback against making this clear statement and stance that it's not the direction that we want to go here's what we need to do differently and so it didn't matter who that person was it just happened to be Trump that seemed to embody all that folks were looking for and what I also find interesting in addition to kind of the backlash or the pushback to uh, Barack Obama and many other decades of um, transitions and movements this country has made is also the piece that or role that religion is playing in this conversation is that if you notice more and more now now where we sit, there's a lot more conversation around faith and how Christians are treated or mistreated, how they've been locked out of the very country they created. And that pushback has enabled them to also take a very definitive stance to say, we're not going down this road any further. This is the line drawn in the sand. This is what we're willing to contend with. And so if it looks like a Donald Trump and he's going to be able to give us what we need to reaffirm to reify and reassure us that this is the Christian nation that we wanted, then so be it. I, I would add only white Christian nation. Uh, the, Absolutely. I think that, that you're right. Uh, the presidency of Barack Obama helped to trigger yep. a, a reaction among people who already felt threatened and, and uh, marginalized. Yep. Uh, they they <coughs> read the census projections. They know that in a relatively short amount of time, less than a generation, uh, white n- high school graduates or less uh, are going to be who used to be the the core of the country are now going to be a, a minority, increasingly small minority. And I think that Trump represents for them uh, a way, as you said, to not just to draw a line in the sand, but to throw a bomb into the system. <laughs> if we can't have it, then nobody's going to mm, have it. Mm. So, and I don't mean to come up in this lovely spring, Monday morning, <laughs> breeze is blowing, sun is out, and 70 degrees coming, <laughs> lovely day. But <laughs> are we seeing, do we think, 
the the decline of America? Are we are we are we in the throes of the beginning of this? That people in their forties and thirties and twenties and teens and younger will feel the brunt of in the coming decades. I mean, are we seeing? Are we there? I, 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 that's why I said I, it's such a lovely day. I hate to be, <laughs> <laughs> create a pall over all this, but I just, I just. <laughs> I'm afraid we are. Yeah. Uh, there used to be a lot of talk about American exceptionalism. In fact, the Republicans put it into their platform uh, four years ago. Um, but as we look around the world, we're becoming less and less exceptional. The same <clears throat> movements that have shaken our politics are also present in a number of European nations, and they only uh, missed France. <laughs> by luck. Uh, it's a wave that's sweeping across the country, probably uh, in part as a consequence of the instability in the Middle East, which has uh, uh, roused concerns about terrorism mm. across the world, but has also roused concern about immigrants all over the world, or in large parts of the world. <coughs> and it's caused political systems, including ours, uh, to come unhinged. Wh I'm not without hope. Uh, what I hope is that somebody, somebody I can't see yet, is going to become America's Nelson Mandela. And we will have a period of truth and reconciliation. I'm not as optimistic about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it took me a moment to form my words um, because I would love a moment of truth and reconciliation. I just don't know if we are close to anything Not yet. resembling no. that. But you know who impressed me this uh, past few weeks is Congressman Adam Schiff of the House Intelligence <coughs> Committee uh, responding to Devin Nunes. He was measured, uh, logical, rational, uh, soft-spoken. I don't know if he's the one, but he's a sign that there is something left in our political system that may restore us uh, to something like what we were before all this began. Yeah. And I mean, but he is a voice in the midst of a sea of American incivility. Yeah. And um, that's where I struggle the yeah. most is it feels like we are at a precipice of going downhill instead of um, rising to that sense of or that notion of American exceptionalism because we have become a group of um, people who are so uncivil to each other. Or, I mean, we just don't know how to engage or interact or hear different perspectives without hunkering down, you know, uh, connecting to our camps and only being willing to engage with like-minded people or hear the messages of like-minded people. And that, to me, is the most frightening of this whole experience. I mean, someone as a college educator who who loves being able to bring all of these voices together and hear them in the classroom, but still try and find a spot where it makes sense that benefits all of us. I mean, all of the courses I teach are raising the question of what what is an American? What does it mean to be American? And, you know, so at the end of the semester, we come to the realization that it's complexity, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of complexity to what it means to be American and all of these identities that sit at the same table. But that's also the beauty of being American. And now it just feels as though we've just kind of hunkered down in ways that we're not even w willing to engage and embrace and be inspired by that 
very notion of what it means to be American, and that's the part that frightens me. And just as a footnote, I think you're right, but uh, one of the, the mechanisms that's helped to create that kind of po- uh, fragmentation is the Internet. Absolutely. Because we now, <laughs> we now consist of a bunch of niche publics uh, who listen only to the like-minded, yeah. uh, and that's become a, a, a source of disunity and incivility. Yeah, yeah. Now, I wonder if that, and folks, do join us. Your thoughts, 410-319-8888. We really want to hear from you and what you think about where this is all going, where we're going as a nation, uh, what this, uh, these next four years could mean, um, and, and the divide we see in the kind of rudderless behavior of both major political parties in this country, 410-319-8888. And I, and I was going to say, as you were talking, I see a cocooning of people, too, mm-hmm. wrapping themselves around their own worlds. Yeah. Something, in a sense, for self-protection, I think the Internet plays a huge role in that. Mm-hmm. But I also think the, 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 the political history of the last 50, 60 years is what really kind of <laughs> is fueling this. Yeah. And you can see it, I think, whether it's in the... In in the, in the black community, folks are kind of saying, "Okay, I'm done with I'm done with it." Yeah, and we have to protect ourselves, right, right, from what's going on out there. And so, choosing not to engage in the political yeah. system at all, right, right, that's happening. As, that I mean, yeah. I, you can see that happening, yeah, and in other communities as well. Yeah, and I think part of it you mentioned cocooning, is that the uh, attacks that people feel are not just political attacks; they're they're being attacked for the kinds of people they are. They're personal attacks. Right. You are. You know, uh, 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 a white racist. Uh, you're stupid. Um, you don't. You're, you're the past. Um, they, it's per, it's personalized. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because I think that those things are so real and so deep that they it's, it's difficult to figure out where to go. I mean, yeah. not, because people don't accept. I think people do not accept the fact that do not accept the, the depth of racism and the fact that they that they are racist. People yeah. do do not want to accept that nor wrestle with what that means. Um, and then we have just not just the total fear that we're living in, so that so that the the anger at what people see as liberal America, mm-hmm. as not white America, uh, fuels the Republican Party to a point where that's 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 all they care about. As long as you attack Trump, we can rally around that, and yes, mm-hmm. this is fine. Mm-hmm. And and then the Democrats, though, I think you're seeing you you you're gonna, you're gonna see them unravel as well internally. Mm-hmm. I think so. I they think it's already happened. They yeah. may unravel before the Republicans unravel. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the election showed us the unraveling, to be honest. Yeah, they, they stayed home. <laughs> <laughs> right. They, they did stay home. They did stay <coughs> home. You know? And then you, could you look at the, so we, we talk about when we come back from this break, a little bit about what's happening with, with Comey and also the other things that are going on uh, in this world and, and where we think America's going, where these next elections may take us. Everybody keeps thinking, the Democrats keep saying, pro-Democratic people saying, oh, we're going to be able to take back the House, we're going to take back the Senate. You know, I mean, let's talk a bit about that as well. Yeah. Do we think that's sure. actually going uh, to be happening? What do you think is going to happen at 410-319-8888? Uh, you can join us here at talk at sinershow.org by email. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. And we just got a thing over the, uh, over the newswire that uh, Baron Trump, I love that name, <laughs> Baron <laughs> I'm not not attacking a young boy here. I mean, they, <laughs> they named him Baron Trump. Um, is will be attending the private St. Andrews Episcopal School in Maryland this fall. So I guess that means there will be a first lady in the White House. Mm. If, if, if she can't avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's there. He's not going to friend school. <laughs> but, it's sure way not. too liberal. 
Way too liberal. <laughs> Way too liberal. <laughs> Couldn't have that. So all of you out there, th- let us know what you think. Conservative, liberal, what community you're in, 410-319-8888. Where do you think we are going as a nation? Who do you think we are? We'll be back right after this break. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner. I'm here with Dr. Kimberly Moffat, Associate Professor of American Studies at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and Dr. Matthew Crenson, Professor Emeritus in the Department of Political Science at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, and you all are 410-319-8888. Write to us here at talkatsteinershow.org. Uh, by email, you can tweet us at Mark Steiner. Does uh, Attorney General Sessions keep you awake at night? Should he? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's a little scared. Well, it's not just—it's not just him. It's the whole, uh, virtually the whole cabinet uh, of people. Uh, Pruitt, EPA, Price at HHS. <coughs> They're all, um, and um, uh, they all seem to be on a mission to destroy the agencies that they head. Uh, and uh, Sessions, of course, is going back to policies that were discredited long ago. Mm-hmm. He didn't seem to pay any attention to the last twenty years and. What we know that uh, the the war on drugs has done to the country. I don't think he cares. No. I think it it fits his ideology and how he sees uh, the country needing to be tough on crime, um, how it becomes a profitable industry in this country to mm-hmm. fill um, prisons and certainly privatized prisons. And I mean, that becomes another booming industry in this country right. that employs people and puts more money in individuals' pockets. And I think that is where he sits. I mean, Reagan pushed these initiatives in the 80s while he was in office. They We saw the outcome right. of them in the 90s and the early 2000s, and he's just rolling us back to that same same space and time. Yeah. I think it, it's it's uh, uh, part of a, the, the, the maybe the, the disorganization of the <laughs> Trump administration that uh, he, he it, it's a it, it's it's a destruct it, he's destroying uh, cons- policies about which there was consensus. Yes, yes. Uh, but Republicans have <clears throat> always attempted to in in their rhetoric to go after these federal institutions that regulate right. and more, right? I mean, that's but always... Energy. Yeah. energy yeah. That's mm-hmm. always... Mm-hmm. But never really in a serious way, to, to, maybe to blunt them, but not to kill them. Right. For lots of political reasons. But so now in comes Trump. This is with an agenda to kill them. So, you know, when, when you say, Matthew, a little while ago, Matt, that that, that um, Trump stands for nothing, he, he just comes in, he's kind of a loose cannon... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but I mean, you you put people in place. He's mm-hmm. Trump is not a dummy, right? Mm-hmm. Right? He's shrewd. Yes. Um, I don't think he has a moral core, but he's shrewd. He knows he, he, he knows how to surround himself with smart people to build to build his millions and billion whatever he has mm-hmm. and his businesses. Um, so when you put a Pruitt in the head of the EPA, mm-hmm. you know what you're doing. When you put a man that everyone else yeah. says is a racist at the head of the attorney general's. Uh, as Attorney General, you know what you're doing, mm-hmm. and you, you know who you're putting in charge of these things, right? This is not. Yeah, you you solidify. He solidifies his Republican base within Congress, especially. Uh, they're sitting there waiting for the new tax policy, uh, waiting for uh, something to to follow Obamacare. Uh, the problem is, although they've been in opposition to all of these things for years and years, and in the case of Obamacare, have been 
voting to repeal it, how many, 60 times, it becomes evident that they really have no idea what to replace it with. For example, the Sessions announcement uh, claims that crime is on the upturn in this country. Yes, in certain cities it is, Chicago, Baltimore, St. Louis, Milwaukee. Everywhere else it's down. Mm -hmm. Um, It's another case in which demonstrable facts don't make any difference to the policymakers. Well, and that's been much of what Trump has created for us, though, is um, lined um, much of his rhetoric and those that surround him with uh, the way fear plays out in people's lives. And all it takes is to put it out there, regardless of if there is information to substantiate it. But if I can put it out there and make you feel and believe that that crime Mm -hmm. is on the rise, that I do have something to be concerned about with my family and protecting them, then I am in support of any any of the initiatives that you make. I mean, we are in the we are in the midst of the opioidemic um, epidemic, and we see where um, that, in terms of the war on drugs, has really spilled into creating the very place that and position we're in right now as a society. But that is being looked at as something in a vacuum that's completely separate from something that was done 30 years ago. When the reality is, much of what we are encountering is a result of the legislation and policies that were instituted in the 80s that are now coming to fruition. I mean, that's how politics works. I mean, we mm-hmm. make these assumptions that everything happens within this short time frame. So we look at Barack Obama's eight years in office and say, look at how he destroyed America in eight years. Well, no, there was stuff happening decades before that then started to pan out during the Obama um, years, as well as anything that Obama did, we will see pan out in the mm-hmm. next decade or so. And so what we need to pay attention to is many of these decisions that are being made create ripple effects that impact myself as one of those people in their 40s, my children who are still young. Those are the folks who end up having to experience the repercussions of what we're doing now. So to suggest that there is something going on about the war on drugs that we've got to clamp down and do something about, and by doing so, what we choose to do is criminalize every single act related to it instead of looking at what are really the root causes Mm -hmm. of why people choose drugs, how people get to that position, and how we as a society need to do something to help people get out of that position, Mm -hmm. that's where the focal point should be instead of trying to And how they get forced into selling drugs. Absolutely. Absolutely. uh, We don't want to deal with those issues. So I want to come back to that in a sense, what you two just said, but let me open the phones first at 410-319-8888. And Russ, welcome. You're on the air. Uh, greetings, Mark, to you and your guests. Good morning. Good morning. I'm kind of a little heavy-hearted today because I just learned you're leaving the air in July, but uh, that's uh, something for another day. We will talk about that, too. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you, Russ. No problem, Mark. I've followed you since JHU. <coughs> your fellow Forrest Parker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me uh, get to my point. Um, to me, uh, it was 1896, I believe, when John Pritchett and Morgan, in a meeting of the trust owners, decided that they were tired of the government pushback, so what they needed to do was to buy their And coming forward to the military-industrial complex and all the rest of that, they began in with the election of McKinley. I think that this com- this election brings to the use of the progressive word fruition is the combination of that process. They now are in a position to where you no longer need lives and complete control of the process. They can do as they will, and you see that they're trying to deconstruct the country. So what I'm getting at here is that 
when you have a situation where you put the fox in charge of the chicken coop, why wouldn't you expect chickens to go missing? You see, what I'm trying to say is that as Americans, we are going through the ball frog treatment of losing our country to people who have ideas that are detrimental to democracy, to the Constitution itself. We are so concerned about Mount Mammon that we have forgotten Mount Sinai. We no longer do. I mean, the Constitution, I mean, America's a couple of things. I mean, you got the economy, and you have the Purple Mountain and the Amber Ways of Grains, but if we lose all that, it doesn't stop us from being Americans. But when you look at America as the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, if we lose that, then who are we? And that's where I'm trying to go with this question. We're going to have to decide what kind of society we really want to be, and then turn out and vote for people who support the way we want it to go. Thanks for the time, Mark. I'll be talking to you soon. All right. Thanks for us so much for the thoughts. Um, a professor I had in graduate school approached things very much the same way as Russ. Uh, he said, he, he actually wrote a book about this, that America is exceptional because it's the one nation in the world that declared its purposes, its national purposes, before it had a history. Uh, we did it even before the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence uh, when uh, Robert Winthrop and the settlers of the Massachusetts Bay Colony were in uh, the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Winthrop, who would soon become the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, preached a sermon to his fellow passengers who would later become settlers called Our Errand in the Wilderness where he tried to articulate what it was that they were trying to achieve even before they had set foot on, on American soil. Uh, this is the famous sermon where you get the phrase about the city on the hill. Oh, okay, right, 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 right. And, right. and I think what Russ is saying is it, it really is uh, very uh, almost devastating because what made us different was that we shared a set of beliefs about who we were and what we were trying to achieve. Um, we we couldn't we weren't ethnically similar we weren't racially similar uh, we were a diverse nation but there was this overarching uh, set of beliefs about liberty about equality about what we were trying to do that now seems to have disappeared it's evaporated. Any thoughts, Kimberly? No, I again concur. I mean, I, I think there's one thing we have to that, that people are exploring, and we don't have time to do it here today. But I'll throw it out here with my next comment, which is, people can say, does 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 only homogeneity work? Yeah. Does heterogeneity not work? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people from from many different perspectives who would believe that. Um, you know, when you talk about crime being up, which we mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, crime is up. In communities that are the most desolate, isolated, mm -hmm. and left behind, mm -hmm. and they're up in the poorest and black communities, they're up in some of the poorest Appalachian communities, mm -hmm. they are up in on the res, <coughs> Native American communities. Yeah. That's where they're up, where people have just completely been left behind over the last fifty years, and segregated, and segregated. Mm -hmm. I mean that that's where the crime is up. So yeah. our response is to lock up, not to mm -hmm. think about how to raise right. up. Yep, that's mm -hmm. right. That's right. And include in. Right. Yep. And again, because there is money to be made in locking up. M money can be made, but also because the belief system that made it possible for us to bring together a diversity of people, we seem to have lost touch with it. So, I mean, so... So the elitist academic in me 
because <laughs> I can claim that spot sometimes, um, says that that's what's so beautiful about um, the college environment um, is being able to bring so many different perspectives together and having the opportunity in a safe space. And I don't mean that in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, when we start throwing out snowflake, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, you know, being protective, but I mean, in, an, in, in a sense of safe space of allowing people to express the positions they have without fear of retribution mm-hmm. <clears throat> and a college environment offers that to so many people, but we still have to recognize that only about 40% of us ever do this yeah. experience, right? And so if you think about it, and this is, I recognize that it, all of us are not, um, or nor should be college educated mm-hmm. or need college in order to thrive and, and succeed in this country. But I mean, just the sheer experience of such an environment really allows human beings to come together and hear various perspectives and make decisions that I think make more sense than the very polarized way in which we're operating now where we stay what we're most familiar with we don't engage in anything different and so that becomes the only way that we can see the world and see life where a college classroom at least offers you the opportunity to hear hear how different Mm -hmm. someone's lived experience is and how it contributes to the way in which they think. And mm-hmm. and we get to engage with one another. Right, yeah. right. I mean, I, you know, as much as I feel like I'm imparting knowledge to students, I learn so much from my students in hearing the different lived experiences that counter my, you know, little bubble of suburban life in North Carolina. And I need to hear that so that I am then able to understand why people come from the perspective that they do. So when I hear it, I don't hear anger. I hear here, this is my lived experience. This is why I think this way. But I'm in this space. So I have an opportunity to share that with you so that you can teach me something that might sound and look different than what I know and maybe shifts me just a bit in terms of how I choose to interact in the world. And so if you think about it, and I know I'm going real elitist now. (laughs) So if you think about it, that would benefit every single police officer that walks the face of this Mm -hmm. country. And I don't, again, I'm not suggesting that it has to be a college degree in order for you to be able to acquire and, and, and carry out a particular profession. But I'm simply saying the experience of really allows us to open up ourselves to learn more about more people instead of simply re, re, um, uh, leaning on and holding on to that which we know from our own lived experience, from what we see in media and from what we're given in terms yeah. of information when we are being trained to become an officer. Yeah. So it's th- interesting that uh, in, in the police academy in Baltimore, uh, Betsy Nix, mm. a professor of history at the University of Baltimore, uh, now teaches, uh, teaches in the police academy about the social and racial history of Baltimore. So police officers will come to their beats with a knowledge of what's gone before them. Yep. So. And I, but I, so the question becomes, the how, do you, how do you do that? I mean, how do you take... What can happen on a campus doesn't always happen on campus, but it can right. happen on mm-hmm. campus. And it happens in my classes. 
I mean, not that I push it, but it is what I really strive. That right. is that is considered a successful semester to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Is if I'm able to be in the classroom and hearing the voice of my Trump supporters and hearing my Bernie supporters and hearing the Hillary supporters all come together and they're sharing their perspectives. And I walk out of the classroom sometimes saying, oh, my gosh, these are idiots. Right. In terms mm-hmm. of the, right. the ideologies they have chosen to align with. But just the fact that they were able to share those perspectives in the same classroom, recognizing that at least in this classroom, Dr. Moffat has your back and no one is going yeah. to respond or there won't be any retribution to right. you. You won't yeah. be belittled. That's right. 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 That's right. Yeah. So that you can then be able to hear those perspectives. And and while I agree with what the professor is doing in the police academy, my only concern is, again, it is still in the confines of a particular group that is already like-minded because mm-hmm. they've come right. to the police academy to do the same job. I mean, one of the things the police could do, not to get digression of this too much, <coughs> I, mean, I think what Dr. Nix is doing is great. I'm glad mm-hmm. they're doing that. Yep. But before Bielfeld left office... <coughs> He and I had these lunches, hmm. and we were talking about this idea, which is that that was part of it, mm-hmm. of actually doing something like that in the academy to have people kind of wrestle with these issues, but that part of what police have to do is to literally stay, be part of the communities for mm-hmm. an X amount of time in their training. You, you're in someone's living room and kitchen. You have conversations with family. You get to know the complexities mm-hmm. of people's lives. They get to know you and really cross-fertilize, culturally speaking, you know, all this thing. And, and Bill Fudd loved the idea. Then he quit. <laughs> so I bet. <laughs> uh, but you ran him off. I, yeah. I guess I, maybe, maybe, maybe it was my fault. I don't know. <laughs> but these conversations, you know, we actually had these conversations just in, in informal lunches saying, yeah. this, this is, what do you do about making the police um, more open? And 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 uh, confront racism, confront their history, in a way that's non-threatening mm-hmm. by right. in mm-hmm. human interaction. Right. 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 So back to the phones. Four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Clarence, you're on the air. Welcome. Clarence, you there? Mm-hmm. Oh, Clarence, come back. Four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Come back to these calls in just a minute. So, um, so, so I do think that 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 that. that Something really has to happen to, to 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 make these things. I mean, if you look at the union, the history of unions in this country, which we mm. which we've decimated. I had this conversation yes, yesterday by email with somebody who I respect a great deal, who's been a guest in this show, who's a Republican and um, served this country for a long time, uh, and um, which was which is just the the idea that our isolation <coughs> is spreading, that the only way we can change that. Is by creating this kind of human interaction that we think the government has no agency in what we do, and it's only private enterprise. Let's remember that without the railroads being paid for by the government, without all the things that the government built in terms of infrastructure, there would have been no steel industry, uh, and all the rest. Without the government, there would be no market. There'd be no market. Mm-hmm. There'd be no market. You know, so so we have to like really kind of. I think we have to, the question is how do you make these conversations happen? Is it impossible? I mean, when you had unions, that was where black and white workers and other workers actually had to gather. And steel, especially, auto workers unions, all these, some of these unions forced people to come together because right. mm-hmm. they had a common struggle. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they ended all their racist behavior, <laughs> but it means that they had a common struggle that actually created an interaction that wouldn't have happened otherwise. 
So where do you take that? Right, but I think it needs to be beyond that because, again, I mean, you can use the police academy as an example of bringing Mm -hmm. folks together because they've got the same idea of the profession they want to uh, participate in. And so that, to me, still has to be broken up in a way that brings various voices together in terms of of experience. It's a way of encouraging police officers after they leave the academy. Right. To connect with the community because now they understand something about where it's where it came from and where it is right now. Right. Um, and here's a, a thought that may be entirely too optimistic. <laughs> we know now that there are at least a few Republican members of Congress who are beginning to have misgivings about Trump. Uh, not about tax policy, perhaps not about health care, but um, perhaps after four years of Trump or however long it takes for him to exit, um, there will a, a, a sensibility will arise, a, a consciousness that we need to undo the damage that not just that Trump has done, but that has been done in leading up to his election. This is the, the Nelson Mandela hypothesis that, I, <laughs> that some people have to take upon themselves the responsibility for reconstructing uh, our political and civic community. Uh, and maybe it, it's not just one person. Maybe it's a whole political movement of people who understand that we have to get back to being one country again. Right. And and not choosing politics right. or party mm-hmm. over yeah. that country. Well, I, I wonder, well, let me just, since we're kind of ranging here a little bit, <laughs> I, I wonder if, I, I really question whether we, ever, we were ever one country. I mean, I, I mean, the, the, the principles that were mm-hmm. that founded this country, the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, Bill of Rights that, that okay. were built over the yeah. years, that, that they represented an idea that was exclusive that had to be fought to be, become inclusive. Yes, right. You're absolutely right. The, that, but that's the whole the, the whole the, what makes us distinctive. Uh, when Francis Scott Key wrote about the land of the free, uh, it obviously wasn't free. In fact, he was a slave owner himself. And the third stanza talks about well, so slaves, we, we, slaves and hirelings. the black troops right, yeah. that, helped, that, that, <laughs> right. that, that fought right. for the British but, for their freedom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling with this in, in another group I belong to right now. Uh, but what, what, we, what makes us special, what made us special, was that we advanced those ideals before we realized them. And at some point in our history, suddenly we recognize that this is something we claim to be, but we're not. We have to change. Uh, our, our, you know, other other nations form ideas of their national purpose by looking backward to their history. I think what was different about the United States was that we looked forward. Uh, we're not the land of the free, but we aspire to be. And I, and I think in some ways, you know, picking up what Matt just said, Kimberly, is that though that that in the world we're in, in, in American history, it really was the black struggle for liberation from the beginning of this country mm-hmm. that put meaning in the words that were written. Mm-hmm. That's where it came from. Mm-hmm. That's the juice, which is one of the reasons we're so divided because I don't think that we want to accept that. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and, and this goes in, again, with, with right after we have our first African-American president, things just go yeah. bizarre. And so now, again, um, choosing 
party and politics over country, we are spending, we're willing to contend with um, what Trump has decided to unleash on the nation, all because we're hoping, as long as he stays in office, that the conservative uh, policies and agenda will still be um, attained. And at the same time, we'll also be able to erase the legacy of that first black president in our country. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Right. The, the, the attempt to erase all of it is is what we're, is what's happening at this moment. And so, if and if we allow so much to continue down this road, that will be exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. So a hundred years from now, my great grandchildren won't even know and understand that there was a black man that served as president of this country. And if you if you if you wrap that up with the complexity of where the, the world is going internationally. Mm-hmm. Beyond these shores, you saw the article in the New York Times, which I found really interesting about China. Mm-hmm. China yesterday, and their and their meeting they're having having in China today, that the policies uh, to expand their influence around the world by investing uh, in their in their industry into other countries to help build other countries for their own purposes, mm-hmm. while the United States is completely isolating <laughs> itself. Yeah, America first. Right. Mm-hmm. America first means America last. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Yes, on the international stage too. I mean, we, we've we've abdicated our role. Uh, we were the uh, supposed to be the advocate of uh, democracy and constitutional government around the world, uh, and we're no longer that. Well, we're playing both sides of the fence. Because we're enjoying when we can, you know, show up and be that knight in shining armor to save, you know, countries that are experiencing some some type of aggression, especially if it means, you know, um, uh, young children that are are yeah. uh, images are being played to us of young children being mm-hmm. killed by, you know, gas. But then there are these other moments where we are saying we are turning away and saying mm-hmm. that's not our yeah, fight. We're, we're, we're willing to shoot. 59 cruise missiles in, but we uh, uh, we won't uh, put ourselves at risk. Yeah. Let's try to get another call in here before the end of the hour at 410-319-8888. Hank, you're on the air. Welcome. How you doing today, Mr. Steinem? I'm very well, Hank. Good to hear your voice. I'm all right. I just got knocked over by a feather by what one of your callers said about your life, but I'm going to let that slide. But this is the question that I want to about Said about what? <laughs> You're leaving in July. Oh, oh. Let's get to the important. Um, This is a question for me, right? Who is the black man on the $2 bill, right? And who was the first president of the Confederate black man? What is his name? That will refer back to what the young lady just said in 100 years. Her kids won't even know that Obama was president. So, So what are you saying? He's agreeing with the women on the air. No one, no one ever talks about the first black president of the Confederate. Nobody ever talks about him. He's not acknowledged. And nor is the black man on the $2 bill acknowledged as to who he was. Going back to what she's saying, in 100 years, nobody will know that Obama is president. You Because some people think that Alexander Hamilton was... Of color. Of color. Yeah. That he was, yeah. In other words, what I'm saying is, in other words, what I'm saying is, nobody ever talks about the first black president of the United States, the president of the Confederate, not Obama, the president of the Confederate. You about Jefferson Davis? Yeah, Jefferson Davis. Nobody ever talks about him. 
right? And nobody ever talks about the black man on the $2 bill, which is completely always washed away, and it's a, it's a second thought. And it's, the $2 bill is a bad $2 bill because it's a black man on it. No, the black man had significant means, such as the man who's putting the sword into the Spanish guy's back, and they think that it's a guy who's actually be, uh, doing some kind of evil, and he's actually saving General George Armstead. Right, they don't. What I, always, what I'm saying is, so many times, good things are done by black people, which eventually gets whitewashed by Europeans, so that you do not know your history. Gotcha. Yeah. Appreciate it. As okay. always, always good to hear from you, Hank. Thoughts? Always Thank good you. to hear from you, young man. Thank you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, they always say um, the uh, the people have ultimate power are the ones who write the histories. And uh, uh, so far, most histories of the United States have been written from a white perspective. And I think, though, that part of the pushback in America now is about the change in how we mm -hmm. view our history. Right. People cannot stomach how our history has been, many people, how, yeah. it's, how it's been changed. Mm. Um, how we now look at the Civil War, how we now look at, the, what, at the, the, what the, the real history of our country was. And we want to we want to still be in the land of George Washington chopped down the cherry tree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we want all want to be. And uh, well, so so are, are we going to be um, one more call? Did you say another? Is it, you said Michael? No. Yes, Michael on the line. Welcome. Hello. How you doing? Very well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, who the gentleman was talking about prior to you was John Hanson. He was the first president of the United States elected by the Continental Congress. That's right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and they do whitewash it. I think that where we are right now in America, or in the world, if you will, is that it's just time. People just tired of the white man running this world. They destroyed it. They pretty much, they're trying to destroy it. And I think that's uh, pretty much where we are. I mean, the, the, the corruption that exists. We got the best Congress and Senate that money can buy. Has bought, period. And uh, it's both two birds on one bird with two wings. And so, um, but that's all I have to say. Thank you for allowing me to uh, interject that. Thank you. Appreciate it. And I know, the, I know that Hanson controversy. Mm -hmm. um, and we, maybe we, we, we can get into that one day mm -hmm. uh, in, in a deeper way. Um, but I appreciate our guest here this hour, Dr. Kimberly Moffitt, Associate Professor of American Studies at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Always good to have you in the house. Thank you. And I'll have to come here and sit in the seat again before it's all done, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes, indeed. And Dr. Matthew Crenson, Professor Emeritus at Department of Political Science at Johns Hopkins University, who actually has, and I looked at my, looked at my records, you've been coming on this show for almost 20-some years. <laughs> it seems but an instant. <laughs> <laughs> Good to have you in the house as well. Nice to be back. And we're going to take a short break. I want to remind you on this way to break, the Mark Steiner Show is brought to you in part by MeQ, Baltimore's Credit Union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ, Baltimore's Credit Union, has been helping its members and its community prosper for the last 80 years. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. More information at www.mecu.com or signershow.org is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner. We'll be joined by Leah Gilmore and others coming up in the next half an hour to talk about this incredible concert coming up uh, at the Creative Alliance. And then Lawrence Burney comes in to talk about uh, Big Moose and uh, the police. Stay with us. Don't go away.